everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jasma. And I'm Kim. Happy Impeachment Week. Happy Impeachment Week. Yeah. Did you know about the ITMFA movement? Uh, Dan Savage? Yep, Dan Savage yeah. started a site. Um, it stands for Impeach the Motherfucker Already. He did this like years ago, like right at the beginning of the Trump presidency. I, yeah, I know. When I first met Tracy, she um, had an Impeach the Motherfucker Already t-shirt. Yeah, so. I have a hat and I have stickers. Yeah. And I've you know, I've given to the cause. But anyway, basically, he's created all these stickers and hats and shirts and everything else. Um, and all of the money, it's being split between um, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, and, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it helps... Um, immigrants with lawyers and legal fees and things like that. It's one of those organizations. Is it race? It's not races. It's something okay. else. Um, but anyway, yeah, maybe he'll have to shut the site down, which is kind of bad, but kind of good at the same time. Well, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the Senate? I mean, the important thing is that this information reaches the general public, and I call me call me an optimist with this type of stuff but republican democrat the average citizen i think that there are enough common sense people in the world that if they did sit back and listen to the evidence they will realize that that man is not fit for office and hopefully whether it is through through removal in the senate or um trump soundly losing the election next year hopefully within the next year we can put an end to this and make sure that nobody else is able to abuse the system like this again because this is not a republican thing this is not a democrat thing this is not politics this is someone who should not who's doing stuff that sh no president should be doing period yep yep yeah i completely agree it's not about the party system anymore it's about the fact that this guy's completely incompetent and not fit for office yeah i mean it, it, i mean republicans should think about it this way i mean what if it came out that barack obama went to north korea and said we'll give you um you know tons of aid if you give us information on donald trump um or if you give us information on mitt romney the more appropriate choice from 2012 <sighs> he that is not acceptable nobody should accept this you know if, if you are still sticking with party lines that you got to support your president fuck you or if you're going by the god anointed trump thing oh. i mean seriously what a great <laughs> advertisement for uh atheism i mean or just ag ag being agnostic i'm i'm more agnostic than anything else for me, tech, on paper, if you put my beliefs down on paper, I would probably swing more agnostic anyway because I do acknowledge the fact that there is a theoretical possibility there could be a higher being. But I, I'm just more straightforward, I guess. I believe if you have doubt, then you don't believe. And if you don't believe, then you're an atheist. Well, I have doubt, but I'm... I think I'm just... I'm kind of one of those... I, deathbed type of yeah type maybe of i don't know because it's like because i've i've experienced things that i can't explain and i believe in science and stuff i'm i'm just all over the place let's just i'm all over the place but you knew that about me i'm kind of all over the place well i haven't come home to astrology yet or anything like oh i kind of like astrology too just because it's fun it's fun to think about it's just i okay. just i like all this stuff it's just it's, it's interesting <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo, but most you're, people who know me know I'm, I'm just a little bit weird. You're nerdy? I'm nerdy, and I'm, I'm a little strange, and 
I'm just kind of, I'm just all over the place. I'm a goofy girl. Yeah. Life's funny more, lady. Life's more interesting that way. So That's true. All right. That's you were, true. You were watching Hulu this week. I was watching Hulu this week because we followed the rest of the herd and we subscribed to Disney Plus, but we got the package that included Hulu because I wanted to watch um, The Handmaid's Tale. But you know what? I watched an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. I've watched the first episode again. I was like, damn, this is really good. And I started looking around at everything else and I saw... Oh, they have the Masked Singer. And I'd heard about this show from some co-workers who were talking about it. So I kind of had an idea of who was on it, but I had no clue. Anyway, we'll start from the beginning. The Masked Singer is a show that originated in South Korea. Because something this crazy, of course it's going to come from Asia. Because I don't know if you guys knew this, but there are some really, really wacky game shows in Japan and other parts of Asia, like South Korea. Like, seriously... Go to YouTube and like Google and just search for Asian game show or something like that. You'll find things like Slippery Stairs. Have you seen Slippery Stairs no. on YouTube? No. Basically, they dumped a whole bunch of lube on some stairs and outfitted some people in like gear with helmets and knee pads and stuff and asked them to climb these stairs to get to the top to get this prize package. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of like up to the top, up to the top and sliding all the way down. And, you know, you put some, like, funny music and yakety sacks behind it, and it's it's hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> The Masked Singer, basically it's these, like, mid-range celebrities who can sing, and they all wear these really elaborate costumes, and they sing songs, and then the audience votes, and someone gets unmasked. It's all very, it's very campy. So this appealed immediately to my love of drag, mm -hmm. because these these costumes are just over the top. We're talking like full head to toe costume. You, there's no way you can figure out who's in there and you, ha you have to guess by the voice, but then the speaking voices, they, they dub them over. So they sound like chipmunks. Anyway, it's just, it's so over the top. And I've watched, I've watched almost all of season one. Um, I'm, I'm up to the final episode and I stopped watching to record this podcast. <laughs> and then when we're done, I'm going to go watch the finale. <laughs> Of season one. Well, who are uh, some of the celebrities under the masks? Uh, I don't want to ruin it for other people, but I'll tell you about the panel. There's a celebrity panel that's like judging and guessing and stuff, and it's well, it's hosted by Nick Cannon, and I'm I'm kind of middle road about Nick Cannon. He has his moments, but overall, I just think he's kind of he's just kind of meh. Well, I I he, he's probably tired because I heard. Um, <laughs> Um, an interview he did with Howard Stern uh -huh. uh, a few weeks back, and apparently he's going for his doctorate. Really? Yeah. He, In what? I, I don't know. Or And if it is not doctorate, it's, you know, he's pursuing higher education uh -huh. for something. Well, that's I, good. You know, he's doing that. He's doing The Masked Singer. He's producing The Masked Singer. He has a radio show, and I believe he has another TV show as well. Doesn't he have kids, too? He has kids. And I, uh, again... Jeez. I, wow. Uh, no wonder he seems kind of tired. For people <laughs> for people that can pull off that pull that off, uh, you know, I, I salute you. I don't want to give the impression that I'm knocking somebody that is able to accomplish all that. That's a lot. Wow, that's a big... He's it, got a big plate full of all kinds of stuff. It's just... How, how do you have a chance to breathe? You know, for... Me, I value the time to just mentally recharge. Now, some could argue that I could probably use a little use a little less of that, but that's a different story. But well, uh, you it's... know, we all we all need our our. We've talked about this before. We all need our escapes. Yeah, yeah. And 
Wow. I mean, granted, he's probably making enough money that he can hire help for a lot of that. Oh, I'm sure he has a couple of assistants and drivers and, you know, he doesn't really have to worry about anything other than when he shows up at the studio, he's the host for this. Or if he's going to school. Yeah, so he's got people to help him out at least. So, wow, it's still that's a really full plate. It's just the whole, you know, I'm going to schedule in my fun time from 3.47 to 5.12. From yeah, that's hard to do. I don't get that. Yeah, well, you know, if you're that busy, you almost have to do that. And then scheduling in stuff like sex. I mean... Yeah, that's just, well... You know, you got me for 45 minutes, let's go! (laughs) No pressure. This does not sound fun at all. Um, (laughs) You have, like, the 24 o'clock in the background. God, yeah. (laughs) If you're gonna do it like that, I'd be like, 45 minutes? Why don't we just watch some TV instead? Why don't we just watch TV and cuddle? And we'll watch, like, half a movie and (laughs) call it good. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Anyway, so on the panel, they have, there's a panel there of people who are not really judges, but they're there to provide commentary and to guess and stuff who's behind the mask. And you've got Robin Thicke, um, Jenny McCarthy, who I used to like before she turned out to be a whack job that turned everybody against vaccination. Um, Ken Jong, who's the... He was in The Hangover. This is his most famous role, probably. But he's he's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And Nicole Scherzinger, eh. Pussycat Dolls are alright, but... No, they're not. I don't know. They have a couple songs I like. They're fun to watch. Just like Jesus said on Family Guy. No, I, I won't go on. But okay, anyway. thank you. Um. <laughs> anyway, so... Yeah, I really like The Best Singer. Mainly because it, it does appeal to my love of music, my love of drag. Because you, you gotta know the people who are creating those costumes... That's that's just a whole bunch of queer talent right there on display. It's just, it's amazing. The costumes are really, really elaborate, and they're amazing. And you would have to think the performers under the mask had input as to what animals and that per- I would shapes hope so. their, that shapes their singing and dancing and whatever they do. Yeah, they don't dance much because you can't really move around on those costumes, and they're probably hard to breathe because they're like we're talking like the mascot costumes or like they do jazz the Mickey hands. Ma- you know, they do they do a lot of jazz there's a lot of jazz hands okay. and gesturing <laughs> and then there's some like shuffling around but it's they're mostly focusing on the voice it's, it's like, like me they're dancing t- and... they're taking away they're taking <laughs> away they're taking away the the whole persona that we all expect and know so that everybody focuses on the singing okay. so anyway i'm enjoying it it's on hulu um, season two is currently on air, I think, so I'll probably be watching those episodes next because they've been, because basically I think they put it on the air and then it's on Hulu the next day kind of a thing. Yep. So anyway, I am enjoying that. Yeah. And as Kim mentioned, we got that as part of the, uh, Disney plus bundle for twelve ninety nine a month. You get Disney plus, you get Hulu with commercials. Um, that part sucks. I gotta say, cause the last time I subscribed to Hulu. I paid a little extra so I didn't have the commercials, and I'm not enjoying the commercials. Well, Christmas stuff. It's not even freaking Thanksgiving. Still, though, I, you know, I I still remember back in in the quote-unquote good old days, um, you know, watching TV on a Saturday night and the amount of commercials we had to sit through for anything. So only having two commercials at most, or the chance uh, that Hulu, I mean, Hulu does this on occasion, of, you know, you start out, it'll say, do you want a normal ad experience or do you want to watch an extended ad and watch the rest of your show commercial free? They don't, they haven't done that for me on, on this show yet. Okay. Maybe they changed something. I don't know. It might be, yeah, I do remember that. But, um, what they do, they do, they do do. (laughs) 
the doo-doo that they do so well. One thing they do that I like is the fact that they have a little counter up in the corner that tells you how long you have to sit through commercials. Yeah. It's usually, it's not more than 90 seconds most of the time. And I'm like thinking, okay, it's only 90 seconds, but my God, I forgot how annoying commercials can be. <laughs> I mean, seriously annoying, especially Christmas commercials in November. Well, it's the start of the holiday war season, remember. Um, God, I... <laughs> There's part of me that loves this time of year, and there's another part of me that hates this time of year. And I just hate the Christmas commercials in November. Anyway, Tim, you were talking about Disney Plus, and I got all agitated. <laughs> I apologize. No worries. Disney Plus, what a hell of an app. Um, it, you know, apart from, um, as Kim mentioned, uh, we commercials. got it from day one. Um, well, Disney Plus has no commercials. That's uh, true. But uh, when it first started up, there were a lot of crashes. Imagine that. The first day of an electronic app or game or whatever, yeah. and there's crashes? I'm absolutely shocked. Meaning, I'm not shocked at all. Yeah, it's still, but though, it's something that again, they... It's something that they should have anticipated because of I mean, par- yeah. apparently what happened is that when it dropped it dropped essentially the night before for everybody so by the time it was about five o'clock our time in the morning on the east coast um that's when everybody decided to hit it all at once plus i guess there was a there was a freak snowstorm and school was closed in a lot of places in the midwest and east coast yeah and i saw a lot of tweets basically saying hey we've got a snow day but i just want to put the kids in front of the disney plus so that i can get some work done God damn it, why is it not up? <laughs> well, it, 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 it's it's a stable app now, thank goodness. Um, but it has a sheer amount of stuff. I You know, I didn't even realize just how much. I mean, 30 seasons of The Simpsons for one. Well, just that alone, that's like, that's, good lord. I mean, I would pay six ninety nine for a Simpsons TV app. I mean, you know, just all the seasons and have access to it for a monthly fee. Yeah, and that means that... That Tim's wandering around the house now from room to room with his tablet, giggling <laughs> maniacally, and I'm like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> oh, like, like the first show uh, I watched was the episode, uh, the season four episode, I Love Lisa, and the first thing I watch on Disney Plus has the line, ah, nothing beats a good porno movie. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course he would, Yes. Yeah, and then and then uh, the episode I just watched t- uh, today it was the episode where Bart uh, witnesses Mayor Quimby's nephew um, not commit a crime, but uh, the nephew was accused of it anyway. And uh, Homer uh, was put on the jury, and Homer's looking at Bart in the audience, and you know, thinking, "I know you can read my thoughts, boy." Meow 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 meow. Oh God, not the meow mix commercial. That'll give it. No, that's not gonna be. Stuck in my head. Ugh. Oh, but that was good. Um, going through some of the um, uh, essentially back catalog of uh, Marvel cartoons is mm-hmm. good. They got Spider Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, I basically glanced through the app. I mean, we have it set up so it's kind of like Netflix, so you can set up each person you in the house. You can do up to four profiles. Yeah, so you can set up everybody with their own profile pretty much, depending on the size of your household. But um, I mean, we've got our own, we've each got our own profiles, and I was kind of skimming through and adding things to my list and stuff and i'm just like there's a lot of stuff here mm-hmm. i don't i don't know it's like it's a it's uh it's a it's a great way to time suck your entire family into disney and then nobody will ever talk to each other in the house again because everybody's just watching stuff and they all lived happily ever after um <laughs> 
But th- there's one show I did want to talk about too a little bit. Um, it one I really recommend uh, watching. It's The Mandalorian. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but the way that my friends are reacting on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, everybody's like, "Holy shit!" And I'm just like, "Okay, well, probably." You know what I think I'll do is I'll watch the episode of Mass Singer, and then I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll watch The Mandalorian. At least I'll watch the first couple episodes so that... Well, The Mandalorian, only episode one is out. They're oh. uh, releasing it weekly. But... Oh, I didn't. I thought it was going to be one of those drop it and binge it things. But... No, they're, oh, they're, they're doing going it weekly, as, a, yeah. as a weekly thing. Okay, well then, yeah. then, then I'll do that. I'll Which will watch be that episode. even nice when the Marvel TV shows start hitting. But, oh. you know, again, not wow. going to spoil it, but the ending will shock you. Okay, then. It will shock you. I think I'm already shocked by the fact that... Um, they put like Brian Posehn in it. Yeah, it it. I, Is it just d- a, like a little bit thing, or I, I'm assuming I don't think he's necessarily going to be a recurring uh, character, but his he, he wasn't you know like in like <laughs> a celebrity guest appearing on The Simpsons, you know, uh-huh. you know, hey, it's Kiefer Sutherland in town. Hi, Kiefer Sutherland. You know, <laughs> it's it's he. You know, the character he played seemed like a real character. It wasn't okay. it wasn't Brian Posehn, and I, I definitely well, like it. Cool. Um, one thing I will say is that uh, the, if I could describe it, um, you've seen Sergio Leone movies, right? I think I've seen at least a couple. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it, 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 think of the this show as if Sergio Leone made a Star Wars movie. Space Western. Yes. That's what this is. It's it's a story about a bounty hunter. And I can get behind this. This sounds really good. I mean, just like Star Trek was wagon train to the stars. This, <laughs> uh, which, wagon train to the stars. No, that's, that's what Gene Roddenberry described it. Oh, he did, didn't he? That that was, and, and if you think about it, for uh, you know, my mother watched the Wagon Train reruns when, when I was a kid. And... Oh, I remember my dad watching like Bonanza reruns and stuff like oh, that. My God, my mother. I think I said it before. She had a huge crush on Michael Landon. Michael Landon. Yeah, and, and his think, hair. I know. Every time I think of Michael <laughs> Landon, I think of that fluffy hair. Oh my goodness! How much conditioner he went through a month. Oh yeah, he went. He was. Where's the conditioner, bitch? <laughs> Yeah. This hair doesn't look this beautiful on its own. What yeah. will Victor French say? <laughs> We're old. <laughs> okay. All right. So we. So basically, you're telling me I have to watch The Mandalorian. It's it's really really good. It okay. feels like it's in the Star Wars universe, but um, the way it's filmed, it's filmed practically. So you know they're saving money, but it's still. It still feels real, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Um, and yeah, just there's 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 a lot of content on there. You get a week to give it a try. It's only six ninety nine a month, and you know, like any other streaming service, doesn't mean you have to subscribe every single month. You know, watch for That's one true. month, and you know, watch The Mandalorian or watch some other shows that come out, and then cancel it for a couple of months. And then if something new comes out, you know, it's it's you're gonna come back to this no matter what. Okay, so are you saying that maybe people should cancel Netflix to get it? I would say for now, not a bad option. But again, like I said with Disney Plus, you know how many people, myself included, when I subscribed to Netflix in the past, have subscribed and then canceled and then subscribed again and canceled. See, that's my experience with Hulu. Usually, it's it is it's subscribe and cancel, subscribe and cancel because. Well, because the streaming wars are, yeah. are, are starting up right now, a lot of com- companies are pulling some of their big name content from Netflix. So that's Netflix, true. 
Netflix, you know, especially with Friends uh, being gone uh, next yeah. year and HBO Max considering a Friends reunion uh, for the app, which would, you know, blow people's minds. It's, you know, Netflix has to really focus on making good quality original entertainment. And, and they've made some pretty good stuff. Keyword some. They don't, if you compare it to well, like Amazon or, you know, other services. That's true. But what, what, uh, I've noticed, um, Netflix has been doing is they've been pulling a lot of reality shows from other countries that don't have distribution here that they might distribute, distribute in other countries. Um, cause there's, they've got a whole lot of British reality TV on right now, mm-hmm. which I like. I, I don't normally like American trashy reality TV, mm-hmm. but I like the British trashy reality TV for some reason. I don't know if it's the accents. It seems less less trashy with the posh accent, but um, I don't know. They, they've got a lot of British reality TV right now, and they've got Australian reality TV, which is also fun to watch, okay. in my opinion. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but that's okay. Yeah, it's At the end of the day, going to be personal preference. I mean, if you got the money and can afford, afford all of them, buy, you know, go nuts by all means. But for you know everything that you get, you know, if you take the bundle, you pretty much you got you got content comparable to what you're going to get with Netflix. Having Hulu and Hulu and Disney Plus together, and if you like sports, the ESPN app. Um, you know, the, again, I think one thing that you know, I mean, we've both talked about it already. One thing that Disney needs to do ASAP to get one extra leg up: have a bundle option that allows Hulu with no ads. Mm-hmm. You know, because right now it's twelve ninety nine. If you make it fourteen ninety nine for no ads. What's two extra bucks? Yeah, I'd be all over that. If, if that happens, I'm going to push you to do that, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's that's the, my only complaint about the Hulu part of it is that I've gotten so used to... Because I don't watch TV at all. We don't have cable TV. We just have cable internet. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten so used to watching Netflix and HBO not HBO, but um, Amazon Prime, that I've gotten so used to not having ads because I don't watch YouTube hardly at all. And so, That's what an ad blocker's for. <laughs> yeah, and so when the ads come on, I, I almost feel like, like, ugh, what is this? I don't understand. So, <laughs> You've soiled my experience. Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't have to watch ads anymore, and I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I don't like, I don't like the ads. I've gotten used to not having them. I mean, I get it. They pay the bills, so yeah. And I, and someone I get creates, it. As someone who creates content, even though you know my content compared to anybody else's out there, you know, I'm not making money off this. But yeah, you, you still got you still got to have the mindset of you know of protecting an artist no matter what. But I tell you though, if the Christmas ads keep, they're just gonna keep on keeping on until the end of the year. Um, that's gonna make me not want to watch Hulu, honestly is the freaking ads yeah mostly i just oh at least the target christmas ads aren't bad they got good music because they're using they're using um donna summer they're using i feel love for their christmas ads which is cool because i can deal with that i can just sit there sort of dance in my chair and pretend that i'm watching something else but um yeah and now here's randy travis for walmart Ugh, no, then there's an ad for um, Nationwide Insurance with freaking Peyton Manning. It's so freaking stupid, and he's just such a lunk. And 
Oh my god. Anyway, anyway. All right. Ugh. Okay, so we're gonna we're just gonna talk about stuff to watch again. This watch watch and read because um. I read the book version to Mommy Dearest this oh. week. Yeah. So I've watched the movie many times. I own it on Amazon so I can watch it whenever I want. Um, I finally read the book because the book was on sale as a Kindle deal this past week. or it was, I think it was two weeks ago. So it was like two bucks for the book. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm buying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read the book and holy crap. Anyone who ever doubted the Mommy Dearest was real oh yeah it's real joan crawford was a bitch oh my god this book is so dark and it's so sad and i'm just i feel so bad for all of her kids she didn't have just two she had four no didn't she she adopted them all right she adopted them all yeah yeah and i'm just like why why did she adopt those kids if she's just gonna treat them so horribly well, again, not defending her actions whatsoever. It probably was, you know, being in Hollywood, she had to have an image, and the older she got, maybe she could leverage having kids into a bigger role. Or I know mm-hmm. she, I, I don't know if it was through marriage or, you know, business acumen or both, but she was on a board of directors for Pepsi. Yeah, it's because she married the, uh, the head, hmm. the head of the company, and then he died, and then she was going to, like... There was some scandal involving like stock sales and stuff, and anyway, basically they put her on the board of directors so that she would go around and do like promotion for them to help them sell more soda. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's all. That's all. Whatever. Um, basically, I just, I'm just, I'm. Yeah, the book is it's pretty dark and it's it's pretty terrible what Joan Crawford did to her kids. And granted, the movie is very much kind of campy and over the top and kind of funny in a way, but wow. Oh, I don't even know how those kids all like were able to come out of that relatively sane. It's pretty bad. Well, kids are a lot stronger than people give them credit for. That is true. That is true. But still, I'm just ugh, shocked. Yeah. Uh, plus, too, I mean, I think the movie kind of hinted at it at the very end um, when the daughter, didn't she, like, have either, like, an inner monologue or make some comment of, you know, this isn't over yet or something like that? Well, basically, the movie ends with um, Joan Crawford's death and her and her brother Christopher finding out that they've been written out of the will. Uh, in the movie version, they didn't mention the twins that she had adopted after Christopher. Mm-hmm. Um, so it basically implied that she just wrote the movie. The movie implies that she has two kids. She actually in reality had four, but basically she wrote her oldest two out of her will. She didn't leave them anything. She basically then gave the rest of whatever she had left to her two youngest kids and then some charities and some people that she worked for her for years. Wow. Yeah. And the re- and she actually said for reasons that are known to them. And both kids, I guess, were like, what did we do? They didn't do, really do anything. They were just... Probably to her disloyal or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. In her mind, they were both disloyal and terrible children and and not worth anything but yeah anyway the book is super dark the movie's very campy because 
Uh, Faye Dunaway definitely chewed some scenery making that movie. <laughs> the wire hanger. <laughs> yeah. Just the, how they had her makeup it kind of like cracking when yeah. she was doing that scene as well. Well, the, I, in I thought her that was scene, she was in her night cream. So okay. that's why her face looks all weird. But but it added to... Oh, yeah, know, it added to, to it. Yeah. It was just... Yeah. I mean, she did uh, the same thing that Jack Nicholson did in Batman. Mm. I mean, Jack Nicholson in Batman was just being Jack Nicholson. Yeah, you know, he was. To 11. Yeah, he was way over the top in that movie too. But God, that was a good movie. That first Bat Tim Burton Batman. The only that was a really good movie. The only good Tim Burton Batman. I like Tim Burton. I'm not a fan of his. And yet again, audience, we clash in our tastes. <laughs> oh, it happens. It happens. Yeah. We still like each other. Yeah. 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 We do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this, about a week or so ago, Jason Momoa put out a picture on his Instagram. And it was a behind-the-scenes photo of, uh, of the Justice League shoot. Mm. And it was a shot that was not in the movie. And um, Jason Momoa, uh, among others, is pr uh, part of a group of people that wants to pressure Warner Brothers to, quote-unquote, release the Snyder Cut. Okay. Yeah, the situation is this. Um, with the Warner Brothers uh, DC uh, movies, Warner Brothers, you know, if you look at the facts, Warner Brothers just put... They chose a director who is a good director whether you like his films or not he's not a brett ratner we were talking about this his his work does have some some substance yeah it's not you know like michael bay light or anything like that but, <laughs> michael bay light <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's good <laughs> but uh it's he with his mindset with the tone that he likes to set in his films i you know for in my opinion i don't think he was the right fit for you know man of steel or, mm. you know, going into Justice League because his take on the characters, again, in my opinion, just not right. You know, and I think ultimately that's why that franchise, one reason why that franchise ended up dying. But the big reason is studio interference. Um, you know, they, Man of Steel had some criticisms. So the sequel, um, it wasn't a, it, technically it was a different film, but a continuation mm -hmm. sequel in my opinion. It was Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Mm -hmm. That movie was riddled with a lot of backstage turmoil thanks to the studio demanding that, you know, certain scenes be shot in a certain way and just, you know, making unreasonable demands, um, you know, similar to what they did uh, in the late 90s with the later, later Batman movies of, you know, trying to please, you know, McDonald's by having certain toys made or trying to please this instead of making sure you actually have a good script. You know, so they put out a Batman v Superman, which was quite divisive. A good script? What? Uh, imagine that. <laughs> you know, I mean... That should be like, what the heck? You should always start a movie with a good script. Why would you not? Uh, well, it, it's... I mean, we've kind of t touched on it before. I mean, studios think i mean to a studio this is not an artistic endeavor this is a business proposition yeah, yeah and and they feel that you know because you know our research shows that because x y and z created you know x amount of dollars over the years we should do x y and z in this film as well and that does not work you know all the time 
No, you gotta have a good story. Yeah. If the movie doesn't have a decent storyline, what's the friggin' point? You know, I got other things I can do with two hours. Well, just ask Adam Sandler. I don't know. He's made a lot of money off of uh, stuff like that. Well, at least his movies have some element of humor. Lotus, I said some element of humor. They're not always very funny, but at least you can giggle a little at most of it. And... Eh. Eh. Still, I'd much rather watch a, a shitty Adam Sandler movie than than a shitty superhero movie depends on the shitty superhero movie i mean i don't know anyway go on with what you were saying all right um so from there once batman v superman hit there was again a lot of criticism about the making of the film about the story overall there were some elements of the film that happened that people were not fans of and what warner brothers did was instead of taking some time off to polish and get a great script in place they rushed justice league and they took what was showed (laughs) they took what was initially going to be a two-part film forced it into one part um sadly uh, and and this is tragic um tragically uh um, zack snyder's daughter ended up uh, uh committing suicide during the production of the film as well so the reason he ended up having to leave justice league um publicly is because uh of his daughter's passing but um, the reason i said publicly like that is that there are some indications that he had actually been fired from the movie many months before even though he was following their orders to the t you know, and because of this, you know, to what you just mentioned, the Justice League movie, um, Joss Whedon uh, came on to direct and rewrite some scenes together. Joss Whedon, again, good director, but he was put in an impossible task. And his yeah. t- his tone and style compared to Zack Snyder's just polar opposites. It's oil and water, mm. and it really showed. I don't know if I would quite go to that extreme to say they were oil and water, because I think they're they're both pretty good at what they do i'm not no 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 you get you missed my point though in terms of the tone of the stories they like to tell yeah i mean if you take like avengers and and compare it and the tone they had that avengers had you know the world there was a big huge battle Mm -hmm. but it was still kind of kind of like a star wars type of feel yeah there was still some elements of humor yeah and stuff there whereas x snyder uber serious yeah all the time and that's what i'm it's it's well the the thing is though is I could see that I could see where if they had been well if let's just put it this way if they had been working together from the start in collaboration that would have been a much better movie I think it would have I mean cause again, because again I mean visually Zack Snyder it, I, I love it you know the he visually, does visually he does, some, he does some great stuff but if maybe if if Joss Whedon had written the script and then Zack had directed it yeah that well, would have been the the th- that would have been great um the result of justice league did bring about some interesting people and they're the one they're the loudest voices in the snyder cut um uh stuff that that you'll hear online and whatnot and basically they have taken the tack that i don't like of not only attacking Joss Whedon, who you know, Joss Whedon has you know made the Avengers one one film that was I believe in the top ten of highest grossing mm-hmm. films of all time for a while, but he's no Steven Spielberg. Joss Whedon is still at this point, and it comes to Hollywood, a hired gun, 
and you know they hired him to do a job he did it it's not his fault you know the result of that film and, and for Zack Snyder again my enjoyment of his films take that out of the equation here and it you know he did his best to put out his vision and the studio made sure that he could not execute it at all you know he was put in a bad spot as well um, but again certain fans are you know attacking you know online uh, writers you know for entertainment websites um, calling them paid shills by Disney or stuff like that, which just makes no freaking sense whatsoever. Um, but when they should honestly be upset with Warner Brothers, I love how a lot of times you hear stories like this and the corporations don't get any look as to, you know, whether they deserve a share of the blame. And, you know, if you look at the decisions of the board of directors on what they did, they're a bit, they're 90% responsible yeah. for everything. Yeah, you know, if they were smart, they should have just told them what they wanted, stepped back, saw what they did, and then did... It sounds like they were just kind of, like, always on, like... Well, they didn't want to take risks. They didn't want to take risks. It's like, I can understand, but at the same time, you gotta know, with, you know, those many named properties involved, you're gonna make... You're gonna make money if you put out something good. That's really what it comes down to, or isn't even it? or even mediocre. I mean, Aquaman was was that Citizen Kane? No, and it had. I its... honestly didn't really like Aquaman that much. It was it had some pretty visuals and it had a very pretty main actor. Uh, but overall, I mean, I I fell asleep during that movie. <laughs> I dozed off in the theater. I mean, that that says it all. I just wasn't very invested in it. I. It, it did ha have a Saturday morning cartoon type of script to it, but... Which could be really fun if you camp it up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. Again, not my favorite movie of all time. I, and not even my favorite uh, superhero movie of all time. I'd say it's mediocre at best. I'd put it on the level of the first Jessica Alba Fantastic Four. Yeah, I didn't really like the Fantastic Four movies very much. Um, yeah. Damn. Um, anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, just wanted to talk about that for a bit. You know, it, and I, I do think that Zack Snyder was put in an impossible spot. And if, yeah. if, um, if there is enough pressure out there and the material is actually out there, um, because they talk about this mythical cut and they may have had a work print put together, but a work print is not a finished product that you would show in a theater by nope. any means. Nope. Um, you know, it, you know, but if, if similar to, um, because there was a similar situation with Superman two back in the day, because Richard Donner was fired from the film and, um, uh, Richard Lester had to come in and finish it, but for Directors Guild, uh, you know, credit on the film, he had to produce more than 75% of the film, so they deleted a lot of what Superman 2 was originally supposed to be, and it took over 30 years for them to release the Donner cut of Superman 2. Mm. I would support, you know, a Snyder cut if, if there is enough material to put out something on a special Blu-ray for fans to enjoy that makes everybody happy great by all means go ahead and do that i'm not gonna buy it but you know that that just because something's not made for my taste does not make it a bad product if that makes other people happy great i just would like certain people to take a step back and truly see who the real villains here it's not joss whedon it's not people that dislike those films it's warner brothers for really mucking up what should have been 
an easy home run. Maybe they wouldn't have overtaken Marvel, but if they just put out a passable film, you know, they could have had a, a nice competition. It just sounds like there was just all kinds of crap surrounding that whole thing. I mean, yeah. you know, having an overbearing boss is not fun for anybody. Nobody wants their boss, like, over their shoulder all the time, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Is that the right thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, no, we're going to lose money. What are you doing? What are you doing? And then to have your your daughter commit suicide. Yeah. Oh, my. I can't even imagine what that poor man was going through. He was going through a lot. I did feel horrible for him. Um, oh, God. Yeah, my heart goes out to him. Yeah. It, the reason I'm a little sore on this, I used to write for Latino Review Media. And uh, when his daughter did commit suicide, um, they uh, what they did, they had like a Google uh, document spreadsheet mm-hmm. of potential news articles, you know, that the contributors could choose uh, that to create an article about. And I chose, you know, what would happen after, you know, D- Joss Whedon took took the reins. And this was about a week after his daughter, um, you know, committed suicide. You know, and I started the article that, you know, we here at the Latino Review Media wish to offer our deepest condolences, blah, blah, blah. And then went through the changes that Joss Whedon needed to make in the film. His fans, ooh. Didn't like it, huh? I got death threats. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's fandom, and there's fandom. Yeah. Fandom. Yeah. That's that's why it, it gets my craw, because if, again, those people took a step back, took a deep breath, and just looked at all the facts together, there is an enemy here. But it's not Joss Whedon, and it's not somebody who may not necessarily like that film. I just don't get... I mean, I understand, like, liking stuff and really, really caring about it. But to give people death threats over a movie or an article? Happens more I know it happens, but it still just blows my mind either way. I'm just like, that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous and stupid. And I'll probably get death threats now. No, you won't. Well, let's move on to our album of the week. Album of the week, it's Tim's choice. Hooray! Um, this week, I chose one of my favorite albums uh, from my absolute favorite band, The Who. Uh, and Kim was just yawning and giving her opinion. <laughs> um, no, I'm just yawning because, you know, tired. Yeah. Um, but I chose uh, their fifth album, Who's Next? Yeah, um, I've never been a huge fan of The Who, to be honest. I've always kind of thought, eh, I guess they're okay. And I hadn't really gone depth into depth in their catalog. Mm-hmm. And I still am kind of of the impression, don't look at my notes, <laughs> I'm still of the impression they're, eh, they're okay. Yeah, they're okay. The show's over. No, um... (laughs) (laughs) They're okay. Again, that's the beauty of music, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, one person... Yeah, it's... Either of us are not wrong on, you know, on on this particular thing. I mean, I think I have some legitimate criticisms of of this album, but I also want to let you know that I did a a deeper dive other than just this album. I was just like, hmm... This is very psychedelic and kind of strange. I wonder what they did before this. And so I I used the Spotify account and I went back a few years and lo and behold, I listened to a couple of their very early albums and I was like, this sounds a lot like the Beatles. 
And then I'm thinking, wait, the Beatles had a psychedelic sort of like period. Well, I think this is just a trend that they, all these British bands were doing at the time. They like, they did this like very, we love you, yeah, yeah. The kind of like, like, it's that, it's that very 60s sound that everybody was doing at the time. And then they all took drugs and went to psychedelia land. Yeah. And then this happened. Yeah. <laughs> this know. is the, this was, it, it was definitely very 70s. You could hear the 70s all over it. Yeah. Um, well, the first time I remember seeing The Who was, I was a middle schooler. Um, I was at a friend's house uh, for a sleepover or something like that. And, you know, as usual, it was about three o'clock in the morning and I was up. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, I have... A trend that has continued into adulthood. Yeah. Um, But I was watching TBS of all stations. I remember that. And Mm -hmm. this movie came on called The Kids Are All Right. It was a a music documentary film uh, that The Who made in the late 70s. Essentially, they took a lot of their greatest uh, live performances and put it to film. But um, me, I'm like 13... And the opening uh, part of the movie is a spot that they did on the Smothers Brothers Variety Hour, <laughs> where um, you know Tommy Smothers the introduced Smothers them. Brothers. It was actually re- rather revolutionary at the time. Yeah, I, mean, I know because like Steve Martin wrote for them, Rob Reiner, um, uh, Albert Brooks, um, his brother Albert um, Einstein, <laughs> his real name. Yeah, um, but. Th- no, 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 Albert Einstein was Albert Brooks. He changed his name, but his brother, um, who you know, you know, is Super Dave Osborne, um, you know, wrote for the show as well. Um, but uh, the Who sang "My Generation," and then at the end of it, I'm a 13 year old watching this. At the end of it, you know, they're they're dudes, you know, singing. Pete's, you know, flinging his arm around uh, like like he always does, and then. Um, all of a sudden smoke starts coming up behind the speakers and Pete's just like going at the guitar like it insulted his mother and then it starts breaking the guitar smashing it against the speakers and then the thing that made me a fan for life was Keith Moon kicking a button that was strategically placed in his drum kit that caused the drum kit to explode that sounds pretty cool and you know me being a 13 year old I'm like a band that does that I'm in you know, so I started giving the work a listen. Um, one of the first albums I bought was a kind of a greatest hits album. Um, they put out called Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy. Yeah, I saw that in the list. I was like, Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy. Are they talking about their balls? No, that's more uh, <laughs> the, the album is uh, greatest hits of their more up tempo rock uh, mm-hmm. rock songs. So it's just something like you put in a car, crank the car, the volume up all the way, and uh, you listen to that. So the, the more up tempo stuff, but. Um, stuff like Tommy, uh, the first rock opera, um, you know, that told a complete story uh, from beginning to end. They're, I saw Tommy live. So did I. Thank my, thank my friend Jay version. in uh, Grand Rapids for that. He was an yeah. usher at uh, DeVos Hall and got me front row seats. Nice. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, when I remember, you know, watching the end of that and thinking that, you know, this is the closest I will ever be to The Who. And then I ended up seeing him live, you know, right on. we'll go into that later. But uh, this album in, in particular uh, came after Tommy, uh, Tommy being the first rock opera, Pete, Pete Townsend wanted to kind of do something bigger. So he initially had the idea for something called Lifehouse. 
The idea was that it's set in the future and that people, due to the environment crumbling, um, you know, can only live life when they put on these special suits, essentially like escaping into, you know, essentially he predicted what people will say folks do on the Internet now. You know, yeah. they, they live their life virtually and not in any sort of real, um, real capacity. I the guess. environment collapsing? Mm-hmm. What? That had never happened. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> The concept of the album was not well received by others when he told it, and it got to the point to where they ultimately abandoned that concept, but they did have a number of songs written for that rock opera that, um, you know, once they got uh, legendary recording engineer Glenn Johns, who um, really influenced modern rock music, um, you know, sonically by working with Jimmy Page, Jimmy Page was really the first musician and producer because um, he produced all of uh, Led Zeppelin's albums of, you know, of understanding how kind of where to have microphones during the recording process. Because mm-hmm. in the past, in the 60s, it was just microphone in your face, you sing, you're done. You know, but you'd have stuff like Jimmy Page with Glenn John's engineering, you know, when the Levy breaks with John uh, Bonham's drums at the beginning, they filmed that John was on one end of, of a hallway. They had the microphone on the other end and just had John Bonham do his thing. And that resulted in a much louder sonic boom that you would get through your speakers. Oh, yeah, that would explain some of the sounds of when the Levy breaks. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a really good song. Yeah, but... Um, I love Led Zeppelin, by the way. I saw Jimmy Page and Robert Plant in concert. Nice. Yep. And yeah, but this album in particular, uh, one of my favorites, has some of my it has uh, some of my favorite songs from the band. So I thought we'll get a little bit of a deep dive here and see what we both thought. Yeah, I will preface this by saying that I really have not been impressed by the Who much at all. I found they I thought they had their good moments and not so good moments. And I was kind of like, what's the big deal? And then I heard like their earlier work and I don't, I'm still kind of like, I don't know. I feel like they're kind of a poor Beatles imitation mm. in some ways. I thought their early work was very, sounded very much like the Beatles. Well, I mean, groups, I mean, the, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who all had, you know, when they, their, their first few albums were, you know, a handful of originals plus R&B covers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they all, all three of those bands had similar types of, of beginnings. And then, you know, as, as they grew more confident in their songwriting, then their own individual um, personalities began to develop in terms of, you know, the types of songs that they used. Yeah. Anyway, let's break it down. All right, track one, Baba O'Reilly. What'd you think? Well, or as people should know, and I believe it's the theme song to CSI New York. Which one is? This? Is this the Who Are You song? No, Baba O'Reilly. No, Teenage Wasteland. Oh yeah, no, it's the it's this. I believe it's the CSI um, Miami theme song. No, that's Won't Get Fooled Again. Because you have David Caruso putting on the sunglasses and yeah. Which one is the CSI Las Vegas theme song? That is Who Are You. Okay. I thought that was on this album. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Who Are You is on The Masked Singer. They play it while they're messing with their masks and taking them off. I just thought you would like to know. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) Baba O'Reilly. Baba O'Reilly. TV theme song. I was just kind of like, eh. I don't know. I've never... 
really like that song. It's one of my favorites. Um, of course it is, because I hate it. So you like it. <laughs> I don't know. How, how do we even have a relationship, Jim? I wonder sometimes. Well, it's like a puzzle piece. It doesn't have to be the exact same thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. It makes for interesting discussions, too. Yeah. Uh, this song was actually supposed to open up the uh, rock opera in question. Um, some of the... the oh, the, yeah. the Lifehouse Yeah, the, 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 the Lifehouse uh, story. Um, See, I was listening. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> you just patted me on the head, by the way. Right. Um, but just... I, Sonically, this is the first time that The Who just... Because uh, Roger Daltrey's voice uh, in previous albums was a little bit on the weaker side and lighter. This is the first time that his his vocals really had muscle. And he's just growling. He's just, you know... I don't really like his voice. I don't think he's that great of a singer. But that's my opinion. You're, you you're like looking... the Smiths. I mean, what a... <laughs> I know, because I like the Smiths. Yes, it's true. I like the Smiths. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't know. I, I just... just helped pick next week's album, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I don't know. I just didn't... I just didn't like the song very much. I just... Maybe it's because I've heard it too many times. And that's... And that's a good point. I mean, because a lot... It's like... There are a number of songs you can, that you can name, like Ironic from Alanis a, a Morissette beautiful song but the amount it's been played over the years you just want to kind of go to the next track right away just yeah. because you've heard it yeah and i think that's part of why i didn't really care for it it's just because i've heard it so many times mm -hmm. over the years and you know it's a tv theme song and if you've watched if you if you binge tv you end up hearing it over and over again and you're just like uh it probably gets kind of like you know the friends theme song I'm sure that's a great Don't song. Don't compare this to the Friends theme song. Now well, we're going to have no, a problem. No, no. What I'm saying <laughs> is repetition. I mean, I mean I'm sure yeah. that I've heard the whole Friends theme song like in its entirety and thought, oh, that's a, that's a decent pop song. But then you, you watch Friends a few times and you're like, all right, I, I've had enough. I, I've had enough. So I think that's kind of how I feel when it comes to like, songs that are made into tv theme songs you're just like okay that was a good song but now i've heard it just so many times yeah no not enough now this song does have one distinction um and that is that this is the first time on a mainstream level in this particular way that a synthesizer was used as part of a melody of a song and while i like synthesizer i think that they overuse the synthesizer on this album We'll talk about it more. Okay. <laughs> and the title itself, Baba O'Reilly, um, not sung in a song at all, but it, it's it's kind of a, there's two different inspirations for it. One, um, Pete Townsend, like a lot of uh, 60s musicians, um, developed interest in um, Eastern philosophy and all that mm -hmm. and followed a religious leader by the name of, of Meher Baba, um, who famously came up with the phrase, don't worry, be happy. Hmm. Um, have him to thank for that and um, the O'Reilly part comes from Terry Riley who um, I believe was a pioneering uh, synthesizer artist and had something to do with you know the overall creation of synthesizers period so it's kind of a way to honor those two influences in his life okay all right all right track number two another solid uh, uh, song from the band and that is bargain what did you think? Okay, so I have my... I'm referring to my notes. 
because I only I've listened to this album I think three or four times now and so I I have to have notes um I like the guitar mm-hmm. the lyrics not so much and the they were doing those weird backwards sounds this sort of like do you know what I'm talking about at the beginning I just am like okay once in a while is fine there was just too much of it and then the, it got into some really psychedelic messiness with the uh, with the synthesizer, electric organ, whatever it was they were using. And while I like some of that, I prefer if you're going to use like the electric organ synthesizer to be more melodic and not more the doors and less like I'm going to trip you out with all these weird sounds. <laughs> you you understand what I'm saying? I get it. Um, again. This is the first time that a synthesizer has been used in this in this manner in popular music. Um, Are you sure it was the first time? It, it, in this manner, I'm not. You know, there were other albums in the past that used the synthesizer, but it wasn't used in a melodic type of fashion, as if it were, you know. Mm. So, um, the lyrics for me are okay um depending on how you look at it it kind of has a double meaning um because it's on the one hand it comes off as kind of like a love song that someone would sing to a spouse or something like that you know and there's a line you know in life one one don't make two one and one make one and you know which you know kind of sappy but is what it is something you would expect to you know be be played at a wedding or something like that <laughs> um but on the other hand it also has a, a religious overtones as well yeah because it, it's kind of you know they're they're the, the the whole main lyric of I call it a bargain the best I ever had the previous lyrics talked about you know getting beaten up and and all that stuff I think just the way it was sung what I didn't like the best I ever had I was like Oh, come on. <laughs> I just, it was, yeah, I just didn't really like it. Okay. All right, track number three, Love Ain't For Keeping. I like this song. I like this song. It had a Rolling wow. Stones kind of vibe. But I really like this song. Okay. Why is that? I think I just, I just like the, it was just, it was a good song. It just felt good. It had a good feeling. I just remember, I wrote it, I heard it, I was like, I like this one. Nice. Uh, you, you sound very surprised. I, with the volume of excitedness, yeah, just, you're like, I like this one. I was like, what? <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I just liked it. It just liked the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, this wasn't one of my favorites. I think this is one of the weaker <laughs> tracks on the album. And of course, here. I love it, and you're just like, what? <laughs> what the hell, woman? What kind of <laughs> taste do you have? I didn't say that. No, um, you're implying it. Not at all. If you like it, you like it. But it's just not my favorite. I mean, it, it is a light, airy love song type of feel. Maybe because I because it was light and airy, and a lot of these songs are just really. I like overbought. Genesis. I like Genesis. Okay, See, I like Phil Collins. So, and I like the Monkees. So, I don't have a problem with light and airy. It's just it has to be a particular type of singer that can accomplish that. I just liked it. I don't know why. It just struck that chord. Some songs, you just like them and you don't know why. Good. I mean, they're a great band. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I love the Rolling Stones, but I don't love each and every, you know, song they ever made. Yeah. You know, so. All right. The next one, one of my favorites, My Wife. I did not like the song. Why? 
I just I thought it was just, it was just bad. It's like, oh god, I haven't been home for two days. That wife, she's gonna kill me. Uh, it just made me think of gonna fly a tank in an airplane. <laughs> I just didn't like it. I just thought it was just stupid. And <laughs> my comment I wrote down was WTF. <laughs> And then I, I listened to it again after I wrote that because <laughs> after I wrote that, then I, like a few days later I listened to it again and I'm still just like, why did I write, why did I write WTF? And then I was listening to the lyrics. I'm like, okay, that's why. So then I looked up the lyrics so I could actually read them. And I'm like, okay, so this, it's just it's so very stereotypical like '70s. Like I like haven't been home because I've been out on a bender, and oh god, my wife, my wife's gonna kill me. Then I'm just thinking, you know, dude, you're lucky that you wrote the song in the 70s and not now. Because your wife would have used the freaking iPhone phone tracker thing on you. Found out where you were, went down to the bar. Brought TMZ with her. Yeah. (laughs) And just, yeah. It's just so stereotypical, like, man avoiding his wife bullshit. Because apparently they shouldn't have got married in the first place. And I'm just like, you know, enough with this trope. We've heard this song before. You don't like your wife for whatever reason. So friggin' get divorced and be done with it. And quit bitching. Okay. I think it's funny. Of course you do. <laughs> I think... You're a white man. Well, I... <laughs> no, and when I hear this song, I think it actually could, could actually be a really funny movie. What? Yeah, just... No! I I think it'd be hilarious. It might have been funny if it had been made, like, at the time it was written, but these days? No. No, you could could have some fun with it, and, I mean, the wife wouldn't be the villain, I'm not saying that, but, you know, just finding out that, you know, husband and wife are fighting, you know, in an action movie. All right, maybe an animated short. Okay. Because I could see, like, a... Like, maybe a Homer Simpson bumbling around (laughs) with, like, Marge coming after him thing. I don't know. I just, I, and you know, as I was writing that WTF, I'm like, I bet Tim really likes this song. I was totally <laughs> thinking that because of course he does. You were correct. <laughs> yeah, of course I was because of course he does. Yeah. All right. The next song, the song is over. What'd you think of that one? What did I think of this one? Um, I thought that the music was okay. But I thought the vocals were crappy, and I didn't like the echoey effect they did with them. And then the psychedelic keys, I was just like, all right, I've had enough of the psychedelic keyboard stuff. I'm just, I was not impressed. Again, I like the song. Of course. <laughs> no, it, I, it's, I, it's, I, it's not my favorite on the album, not my favorite um, overall from The Who, but for the type of song that they were trying to accomplish here, I, th- I thought it was... Good and, and, and excuse me, me. I like their vocals. I actually prefer Pete Townsend's vocals. And this album was the first time that his voice was actually coming into its own as well. What's um, the title of the song? There's a Doors song with a similar title, and I just no. That's when the music's over. The song is over. The music's over. It's pretty similar. So it's like I read the the name of the title. Like the song is over. Wait, isn't that a Doors song? Well, I'm just glad you didn't come up with a line. I was, you know, the song is over. I was glad the song is over. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. The song's over. <laughs> Yay! Hooray! Hurrah! All right, the next one, getting in tune. Um, once again, I didn't like the vocals. 
I just I don't like his voice. That's what it comes down to. I don't like the vocals. I like the piano, though. The piano was good. You mentioned a Rolling Stones influence on a previous song. The yeah. person who did the piano for this was the piano player for the Rolling Stones, Nicky oh. Hopkins. Well, piano was good. Yep. Um, yeah, because the big bands of the day, I mean, they, they all, all shared in, like session musicians and stuff. Yeah, and it, there were times too that they would, you know, guest star in each other's tracks and whatnot. Yeah. But again, getting in tune, I, it's not one of their big substantial hits, but not a bad song either. It just it it. But I do, I I, I will be the first to admit that this one is one of those acquired taste type of songs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be something you'd put on the Mount Rushmore of greatest Who songs. All right, the next one. The song that Pete Townsend literally wrote because he bought an RV. Going mobile. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, then, I didn't like it. I just thought it was crappy. Yeah. It was a blah. Was but it... the guitar at the end was cool. Yeah, that was... Um, the, the, if you download the Pluto TV app, they actually have some stuff uh, for on-demand viewing as well. And they have these great documentaries um, that used to, to be shown on VH1 Classic... Uh, uh, called classic albums and one of the albums they discuss is this and they talked about um the guitar solo for this at the end because with the, the way it sounded pete actually connected his guitar to a synthesizer huh. and you know the sound you hear is him playing the guitar but the sound is what you know he was able to create in the synthesizer okay so it, it did I just, have yeah i thought it was an interesting aspect. funk sound yeah 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 i liked it so it I like that part of it. It had like good elements. Yeah. yeah. All right. The next one, one of uh, the Who's iconic tracks, "Behind Blue Eyes." I really liked this one. I liked this song a lot. The way it sounded made me think of Pink Floyd in a way. It had kind of a Pink Floydy feel. The vocals did at least. Hmm. Just kind of it just felt it felt kind of floaty, and I know when I've listened to Pink Floyd, maybe it's because when I've listened to Pink Floyd in the past, I've been really high. But I think Pink Floyd, I think kind of floaty. I guess I can see that. Um, Pink Floyd for me is a little more more on the cerebral side compared to The Who. And The Who just yeah. sonically is just louder. Yeah. You know, but, you know, this song for me is a great distillation, too, of, you know, someone who's angry. And someone who is trying to control it, but, you know, is getting to the point to where, they, you know, they, they're telling you what will happen if, if they do get angry. And I kind of like yeah. the lyrics that way. Yeah, that's what I liked about it, too. It was just kind of like, okay, kind of, it's kind of warning you, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> Don't mess with me. So simmer down. Simmer down. All right. The last track on the album one of my favorite songs of all time. This would be on my Mount Rushmore of greatest songs ever. Won't get fooled again. I think this kind of works for me in the way that Bob O'Reilly works for me. It just doesn't because of the fact that it's just I've heard it too many times. Well, I've just heard it too many times, and I just I just kind of I'm kind of over it. You know, it's just sorry. Well, uh, for me, I I, I can st- I can listen to this song all day. You know, it's really, it's yeah. I mean, probably there's a couple reasons. Um, we'll go through the list. Um, that <laughs> that same uh story I told at the beginning of uh watching the movie, the movie The Kids Are All Right, mm-hmm. the last song that they play uh, is Won't Get Fooled Again. And you know, during the, the near the end of the song, when you have the organ, you know, do, 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 you know, doing that, they, they would 
for the live uh, crowd they would have lasers going and then you know they had you know like images of like roger daltrey and, and whatnot and then you have the drums keith moon going nuts on the drums the man was literally like an octopus with, yeah you know just his arms flailing everywhere and then it cut to one of the most iconic visuals in rock history when roger daltrey is screaming the iconic yell in that song pete townsend you know jumped and slid right in front of the camera i was 13 i was like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen <laughs> you know I, I i was a huge fan you know and then flat fast forward uh to 1996 i paid tickets to my first concert my first concert was kiss the reunion concert in the original makeup and uh, instead of having an opening act, what they did is they would, you know, just play various songs, you know, like Billy Joel and mm-hmm. whatnot. And, you know, then I that... that you mentioned Billy Joel. That's not your next. No, oh, no, <laughs> no, it's not. I but I um, apologize. But no, Billy Joel was my first concert when I was in fifth grade. My mom got me tickets for my birthday and took me. Okay. It was really fun. I had a really good time. Okay. I like Billy Joel. Well, I had a good time to seeing Kiss, you know. Mm-hmm. There was one of the lifters showed up. That was great. Um, my friend Chris was able to get us some beer, even though it was a Pabst Blue Ribbon. We were both eight, we were both under 21 at the time, so beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I know Ugh. it's Will. Um, but, you know, th- bef- again, before the show, they were playing uh, various songs, but then this song, Won't Get Fooled Again, started playing. And then at the end, when the scream heard in the song, boom, fireworks on stage and a big black banner comes down with the KISS logo. The song ends, the lights in the house go down, and then you wanted the best and you got the best. And then KISS took the stage and I was like, yeah! You know, and then uh, fast forward a few years later, August 27th, 2002, at the Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I finally got to see The Who live. Right on. It's yeah. so awesome when you finally get to see a band that you've loved for years live. Mm-hmm. I felt like that when I saw R.E.M. live, because um, I'd loved R.E.M. for so many years. And then a friend of mine's brother camped out and got us front row seats oh. at one of their last tours. And so we like youth. Did you throw your panties? No, but <laughs> Michael Stipe winked at me. <laughs> I was up in the front row at REM just like dancing and flailing around and being all goofy and he he winked at me and I was like oh ah. uh, reminds me of the time I touched Conan O'Brien's shoulder oh <laughs> I think I made that noise <laughs> <laughs> but the song won't get fooled again what'd you think I've heard it too many times okay. as if it's listener fatigue I just I'm just like yeah okay it's it's an alright song I'm just for me, for, you know, if, if I had to play one song to kind of demonstrate to people that, you know, the type of music that I like, I'd probably put either this song on or Bohemian Rhapsody as, you know, my absolute favorite. This is a distillation of everything I like in music in one song. I like Bohemian Rhapsody more than this song. Okay. I like the Bohemian Rhapsody more than the entire Who catalog. Get out. No. <laughs> 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 anyway uh, yeah i mean i can see where the who i can see why the who belong in like rock history and stuff but i'm just not very fond of them okay. is pretty much what it comes down to i can see that they have talent and all that i'm just i think i just 
they just they're just they fall into the category of overplayed for me so i just feel like they're kind of overrated in a way well for me i like the fact that they were one of the first rock bands that tried to do more to show the general world that there's more to pop music rock music or whatever than just the standard two to three minute song yeah you know and you know whether you like them or not the fact that you know they're the first ones that came out with a rock opera that they came out with a movie and a broadway play based on you know the album of theirs you know they tried to do more to bring attention to what this type of uh, popular music can accomplish now uh, you it could be argued that they didn't necessarily succeed in that you know based on you know what we see with streaming uh being what it is today because Mm -hmm. more and more people aren't buying albums they're just buying individual songs yeah that is true i mean it is it does seem like it's pretty rare that people actually listen to a whole album Mm -hmm. anymore which is kind of a shame because i know i know with albums that there's definitely an art to finding the right way for the songs to kind of I don't know what the right word for it's it is. It's a flow, rhythm and it flow. It is. It's a rhythm and flow. And the the right albums, for me in my mind, which are some of the albums that I've shared, are the ones that just kind of, they flow. They're, you know, they have their high points, you know, in terms of like energy. They like get really high energy and then they go down and they mellow out and they go back up and they come down. And it's, it's just, it's just like riding, it's, it's being in a boat. It's You're in a musical boat. It's like uh, Marvel movies too, because if mm-hmm. every Marvel movie tried to, throw an end game type of story at you for each and every movie oh, you're God, gonna get burned out quick. yeah that's that would be exhausting yeah you need your ant-man and the wasp there's a reason there's a reason those films are important it's not the story itself it's not the characters but you need that kind of this the energy breather that that energy it, it, it's a fun ant-man and, and ant-man and the wasp were fun films but they're breathers. You're taking a yeah, breath. They definitely they have a definite they have a different energy. Yeah. And so that's why we have bands like the Spice Girls. It's a different kind of energy. And we have you know we have the more serious Spice Girls. <laughs> the Spice Women. Well, this, there's the Spice Girls. That, that just it's an example of the mm-hmm. the light kind of energy. Right. That you have, and then you have bands like the Who, or maybe. Pink Floyd or other bands that are just they're more dark they're kind of moody and you've got your moments where it's like really high energy and really fun and another remember it's when you're listening to The Who and it's uh, or to Pink Floyd and you're listening to The Wall or um, God I can't even think of the name <sighs> Dark Side of the Moon Dark Side of the Moon Wish You Were Here Oh. Wish You Were Here by the Pink Floyd is like a super sad song. They're way too depressing for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a mood. It's all about a mood. There's some bands that you just like, you put this on when you're in this mood. And you just got to find the right band for your mood. There you go. All right. What are we going to hear next week? Next week? Well, speaking of moody, guess what time it is, Tim? You're going to listen to The Smiths. Yeah, The Smiths. This album... See, the thing is, though, about The Smiths, you've got The Smiths and you've got Morrissey. Morrissey on on his own is a lot more morose than The Smiths were as a band. So... Okay. Anyway, the album we're going to listen to by The Smiths is called The Queen is Dead. And 
Uh, it's one of my favorite Smiths albums. I was very on the fence about which Smiths album I wanted to choose. I went with this one because this was the first Smiths album I listened to. Okay. So, The Queen is Dead by the Smiths. Um, and we'll have plenty of young Kim stories? We'll have a few, probably. Okay. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you just you just love those. Um, but yeah, I like this album. And one of these days, I feel, I, you know, being the, the feminist that I am, I feel kind of weird about not having picked any female artists yet. But I'm just like thinking about all the music that I listen to and a lot of my favorite bands. They're men, and I just don't... I'm not sure why. They just are. Well, I mean, I don't think you necessarily you should necessarily beat yourself up over it because I know you like female musicians. I do. But if if you know for your own personal journey in life, the music that speaks to you more is written and performed by men, then that's just the music you're uh, attracted that that attracts you, man. Yeah, your soul and whatnot. So I, on on the surface, I don't think there's anything wrong with that but again i think if you did a deeper dive you'd find you know some albums i think what it is is that as a youth when i was developing my taste in music i was really sad and i was angry and a lot of the sad and angry music is made by men and i just wasn't finding the outlet that i wanted in female music yeah you know, what about alanis morissette she wasn't around at the time I was developing my taste. She didn't come around till the 90s. When this In America? Is... You didn't get one of her Canadian pop albums? <laughs> no. Like, she, how she am I going to hear about that? I didn't have the internet. Uh -huh. <laughs> how am I going to hear about that stuff? Yeah, Alanis Morissette didn't happen until like the mid-90s. And I think mid-90s, yeah. For Uncle Joey, it was a few years earlier. <laughs> what the hell? Anyway. Anyway... <laughs> yeah so that's gonna be my choice for next week so yes tim you're going to listen to smiths and you're gonna like it i think you're gonna like them more than you think we'll find out <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll find out yeah also coming up too in a, a few weeks here we're gonna um sort out when we're gonna uh do the scheduling here but um we had an idea about having a little battle that we want to include the rest of our audience in, and that's the battle of which state has the best musicians. We're going to base it based on the state we were born in. Yeah, the state we were born in, and uh, the rules are um, the, the, the artist in question have to have been born in that state. Now, if it comes to a band, at least one actual member of the band has to have been born in that state as well. And this is going to be difficult for me, I know, because most of the bands that I have loved are British. <laughs> well, the, Maybe it speaks to my British heritage. I don't know. Possibly. Um, but still, I mean, you know, I'm sure with the list I'm going to come up with, uh, you know, it'll be 20 tracks. Are you sure about 20? 20 seems like an awful lot. Do you want to do 15 or 10? Probably 10. Okay, we'll do a top 10 of our um, favorite tracks from artists from that state. And again, it has to have been born there, so I would not be able to put the Reverend Al Green. Al Green grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my hometown, but he was born in a different state. Okay. And I would not be able to use Eminem, who was born in Missouri. Interesting. Yeah. So, Tim was born in Michigan. Mm -hmm. I was born in Oregon. So, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Are we going to have, like, bluegrass players? or? <laughs> what do you think Oregon is? 
bluegrass that comes from Kentucky? I don't know. <laughs> Just some. I don't know, I don't but know. I'm gonna. It's gonna take me some research, I think, to find some, based on my own. Me? Likes and dislikes. I'll just go to Motown's greatest hits. I was hits. just going to say... Oh, Madonna. <laughs> you're freaking lucky in that regard. You got Motown to pull from. Ted Nugent. Oh. Bob Seger. Oh. Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Do you want me to, Well, Iggy Pop's good. Um. Yeah, this is going to take some time. It'll take some time. I mean, I, I'm hoping maybe in December we should be able to have yeah, something up. Maybe hopefully. we can do it like near the end of December so that, that we can make it kind of like a holiday type of deal. Sure. And then uh, the the goal is this. We're going to, you know, have one week where I, get, I give my list. Then we'll have another week where Kim gives her list. And then we're gonna leave the voting to you. Now, and we'll put them. We'll put the playlists on Spotify or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the playlist will be them. on Spotify, um, but we're gonna put the voting to you. And uh, the situation is going to be this: if I end up winning, we're going to go to a movie of my choice, and Kim will pay. If Kim ends up winning, then vice versa. We'll go to a movie of Kim's choice, and I will pay. Yep. So. I'm not going to make Tim see a chick flick because I generally hate chick flicks. But there are some movies coming out in December that I, I kind of want to see. And I don't know if Tim's going to want to go. Tim, like, like Tim's what? lucky like the Downton Abbey movie's already been out and I haven't gone to see it yet. So, Thank God. Yeah. Um, and thank you again for Motown. Uh, <laughs> Stevie Wonder. <laughs> See, and he's naming all these names, and I'm just like, uh, Oregon! And I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, so... I'm probably, I'm probably gonna be doing a deep vibe, deep dive into my, uh, favorite, um, kind of grungy bands of the no, 90s. Just, no, just do what I did. Um, just musicians born in... Yeah, but Oregon. at least... Because remember, it's not... In this particular case, we're coming up with ten solid tracks of people that were born in our particular I don't particular I can't think of state. anybody who was born in Oregon that well, I like. But once you do the research, you will find somebody and, and God, but it's I not even so. but it's not even about music that you necessarily like though too because we're putting it out to a vote here. Yeah, that's true, but at the same time it there's no point in me putting stuff on a list if I don't like it. Okay, I, whatever, but <laughs> you know, you want to put out the strongest possible list that you can. Yeah, I'm just and then, and I'm then, just wishing that, that like the cure had been born in Oregon, and like <laughs> Robert Smith was born in Hillsboro. Shit. <laughs> no, he looks like more of a Gresham cat. Um. No, what the hell? <laughs> he is so not Gresham. Tim, Tim sleeping in the car. Anyway, have a have a lovely week, people. All right. We'll see you next time. Oh, and here's the who from when I saw them live in 
subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.